please join me in prayer. Lord, it's All Saints Sunday, but you knew that, didn't you? We're not comfortable using this word saint, especially in reference to ourselves. Someone might get the wrong idea and think that we think that we're better than them. But you know better because you understand what it means to be a saint. Help us, O Lord, to understand what it means as well. And as you do, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. Amen. On this All Saints Sunday, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why are we here? Not why am I as an individual here upon this earth, but why are we, Calvary United Methodist Church, here in Bloomington Normal, McLean County, Illinois, in the year 2022? In other words, what is the mission to which we have been called? Well, we are in the business of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of Bloomington Normal and our world. Another way of putting it is to say that we're in the business of helping God to make saints. Now, our forefather in the faith, the Apostle Paul, was also in the business of helping God make saints. In writing to the early Christian church in the city of Ephesus, located on the western edge of Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey, the Apostle Paul outlined the process God uses in making a saint. Paul writes, in him, meaning God, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Now, there are three words that jump out at me in these verses. They are chosen, predestined, and purpose. Saints, meaning you and me, are not made by chance. There is a purpose at work, God's purpose. It all begins with God. God chooses us, and God predestines that we become his saints. Now, it may be strange for you to hear the word predestined come out of the mouth of a United Methodist minister. If you understand anything about church history, you know that there are two primary theological schools of thought with respect to God's sovereignty and human free will. They are Calvinism, and Arminianism. Calvinism is the theological system associated with the reformer John Calvin. It emphasizes the rule of God over all things as reflected in its understanding of Scripture, God, humanity, salvation, and the church, focusing upon God's sovereignty. Arminianism is a school of theology based on the teachings of Dutch theologian Jacob Arminius. It is perhaps best known and prominent in the Methodist movement and found in various other evangelical circles today. 
Arminianism stands in contrast to Calvinism, particularly as related to the sovereignty of God in salvation and the ideas of election and predestination. Now, when we understand that the word predestined means that God wills something to be, yet allows us the choice, the freedom of will to accept or reject God's will, and that predestined is not the same as predetermined, which means that we have no choice in the matter whatsoever, then it becomes clear that God does predestine or desires that we all become his saints. God chooses us. In a sense, God establishes the covenant or relationship that God desires to have with each and every one of his children. God draws up the agreement. We either choose to sign or not sign on the dotted line. And once we've chosen to sign, we're signed. But that's not the end of the story. First, we are signed. Next, we are sealed. Paul continues to outline this process by which God creates saints when he writes, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, in this single verse, two words come to my attention. They are believed and marked. We must decide, each and every one of us, for ourselves, whether or not to believe the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, his son. When we choose to believe, we become marked persons, marked in two very different ways. We are marked by the world as unnatural, even abnormal, a world that has fallen, marked by sin, engaged in rebellion against God, wants nothing to do with anything or anyone who is on God's side. But more importantly, we are marked by God as being his very own. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you grew up growing great big gardens? Yes? How many of you continue to grow great big gardens? All right, and you know Calvary has a great big garden that it grows each year for the community. But when you grow a great big garden, it produces more than you can possibly eat at the time. It even produces more than you can give away. And so instead of letting things go to waste by rotting in the field, we, meaning the human race, develop ways of pre preserving our produce. Now, with five kids in my family to be raised and only one parent at the time who was working outside the home, my family grew great big gardens. And I'll never forget the summer that my dad decided to put nearly one and a half acres of ground into a garden. Of course, he had cheap child labor to make it work. <laughs> when autumn came that year, as in years prior and following, there were green beans to be canned, 
okra and corn to be frozen, and fruit to be preserved. These were times reminiscent of the following story. The author writes, when my mom used to make jam, I would watch her pour wax over the top of the preserves until it was at the brim of the jar. She would then carefully wipe some of the wax around the rim itself and place the rubber lid, light, lid tightly on. Now the wax and the vacuum caused by the cooling preserves would seal that jar so tight that it could have sat on our basement shelf for years. And the jam would have been just as good when finally opened, sealed, preserved, protected. But in our house, he writes, the dust didn't have time to gather on those jars, but they could have lasted a long time if necessary. Now this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he writes this verse to the Ephesians. Our being sealed by the Holy Spirit is a sign that we belong to God. God has laid claim to our lives to be used upon this earth for his purpose and to be preserved for an eternal relationship with him in heaven. Now that we have been signed and sealed, there's just one thing that remains to complete this process of our being made saints. We will one day be delivered through death so that we might receive our eternal inheritance. Referring back to the previous verse where he wrote the promised Holy Spirit, Paul puts it like this, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, a wealthy businessman once, once called his faithful assistant into his office and he said, I have put your name in my will, and you will get $100,000 when I die. Now, as that may be sometime in the far future, before you get that legacy, I want to make you happy now by paying you the legal sum of interest each year on that amount. And here's a check for $6,000 as a starter. Well, the clerk was doubly gratified the prospect of this future inheritance was good news, and the money that he received in the present in advance assured him of the reality of his joyous hope for the future. But more than $100,000 or a million or a billion or a trillion, God has written our names, the names of his saints, in the Lamb's Book of Life. And more than 6,000 or any amount of money a year, God has offered us an abundant life right here and now. Signed, sealed, and one day delivered, we're his. Thank you, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> we belong to God. We are no longer our own. God bought us with the price of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We are his saints, not perfect, mind you, at least not yet. 
We are tattered in some places, worn thin in others, but nonetheless sealed with the Holy Spirit. In truth, we are saints in the making, and our purpose in this life and in the next is to glorify God with everything that we are, everything that we have with our very lives. Now, the following person's witness sums it up pretty well, I'd say. He writes, at first I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things that I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I died. He was out there sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him personally. But later on, when I came to know him personally, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that God was in the back helping me pedal. Now, I don't know just when it was that he suggested that we trade places, but life has not been the same since. Life with God, that is. God makes life exciting, but when he took the lead, it was all that I could do to hang on. He knew delightful paths up mountains and through rocky places and at breakneck speeds. And even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious, and I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed, but didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust him. I forgot my boring life and entered into an adventure. When I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand he took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, God's and mine, and we were off again. He said, give the gifts away, they're extra baggage, too much weight. And so I did to the people that we met. And I found that in giving, I received, and our burden became light. At first, I did not trust God in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it, but he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it lean to take sharp corners, to dodge large rocks, and to speed through scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places, I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion. And when I'm sure that I just can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. Where have all the saints gone? Some have gone to heaven, having finished their race and been faithful to the end. But a very large number, and that includes you and me, are right here walking the earth today, ready to go wherever God may send us, clear around the world to another state or simply just next door. 
As we remember those who have gone before us, let us recommit our lives to God that we might live lives that are pleasing to him and worthy of our title, saint. Amen. We come now to a very special time of celebration on this All Saints Sunday, a time of a remembrance. And when we give thanks for those loved ones, those members of the Calvary United Methodist Church family, there are 12 such persons that we'll remember today, and you can see the 12 candles on our altar that we'll be lighting in a moment. But there are also countless others in your lives, in your minds, in your memories, who just in the past 12 months may have entered, ended this earthly life and entered into glory. We give thanks for them as well, though they may be unnamed to most of us, as well as others who have gone before you know, I had a tradition younger, when I was younger in my ministry that I would pick out three people in my life who had made a difference. And each year around this time of year, I would write them a letter thanking them for being one of my living saints. Now, of all those that I've written, and it's been a few years since I've written any letters, they have gone on to become saints in that great communion in heaven. But think for a moment. Think of those persons who are living saints right now in your lives. And don't forget to thank them for the difference that they've made, revealing the love and reality of God to you at whatever age or stage of your life that might have been. <clears throat> 